You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome to this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. On this week, we have Andrew and Chris from one of the earliest metalcore bands you could probably remember, Sky Came Falling from Long Island. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing today? Doing good. How's it going? Pretty good. You guys have been pretty busy as of late. We just got back from New York, and I, um, me and my buddy JP, who's also a partner here at Lamb Goat with me, we uh, we flew to New York to see the PTW shows, and you guys were on two of those shows that we saw, or the two that we saw, I should say. There's three shows all together. But yeah, um, I think that was like probably my first time ever seeing you, because I don't think I saw you back in the late uh, late 90s, early 2000s when you were you know more active, but it was a pleasant surprise seeing you in Indecision on the lineup uh, in real life, finally. Yeah, I don't think we played Florida much when we were an active band. We, uh, we tended to somehow end up winning it for whatever reason. <laughs> it's a hard place to come to, you know, because like if you, in, if you want to hit any of the spots in Florida, they're usually more south than like say where I'm at in North Florida, Jacksonville, you usually want to go to like Orlando or Miami or South Florida or Tampa. But then, you know, that's a drive coming from the closest place. The closest major city would be Atlanta. So, you know, it's another five, six hour drive until you get to Florida. So usually bands make it like a whole weekend slash week thing when they come down here. You know, they'd hit like five cities or something like that. Yeah, I think we played Magic Fest in Orlando one year, and then uh, one time we went down to South Florida, um, But uh, and that was our first tour, actually. Other than that, I don't actually, I think all of our other tours, for whatever reason, just bypassed. Um, we ended up, you know, usually going from Valdosta, Georgia, mm-hmm. and then Atlanta, and then up. Yeah, the early days when you were a lot more VFW halls and... Mm-hmm. Weird, strange basement shows back in the day. Um, yep. Speaking GPS, of which, yeah, GPS <laughs> yeah, no GPS. That's a, one of the wildest things I think about because uh, I, I toured in my little crappy band too, uh, and it was a lot of. Uh, l- luckily for us, like my dad always had atlases around, and that was like one of his things that he would like look at in the bathroom. You know, like when he was in the bathroom for a long period of time, he would just look at an atlas. And so uh, I got into that. I not got into it, but I just would do it out of habit too. So I I could read an atlas pretty well. But luckily, we also had uh, MapQuest was like on the you know cusp oh, yeah. of the beginning of like directional uh, options for you to like look up stuff. But you had to like print the directions out. You couldn't like yeah, it, it, it's it like on your seat and you're like checking it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had um, at the time what came out that was pretty hot right around the middle of the band was. Um, Microsoft had that Maps program. Mm. That was a CD that used to didn't require internet. Wow! So that was 
it was like just basically like a downloadable map and you could kind of figure out where you were and we were using that and i think there was like a some kind of plugin or something that you were able to figure out where you were but this is like way before any any of the technology that exists today yeah that was that sounds like it's before tom tom and all that stuff you yep. you know the, yeah you we never to, had any of that yeah you used to have to download the maps on that too that wasn't you know as accurate you could have old tom tom information you know and be going in the wrong direction or not on the right proper road back in the day not the paper traffic updates <laughs> yeah i remember true, true yeah i remember that but yeah all of this was before any of that i mean we were booking our tours with phone calls and would stop at a payphone and be like are we going in the right direction and um <laughs> a lot of payphones and we'd be like this is the time we're gonna get in etc and yeah i think toward the end of the band is when it kind of started to um cell phones became a little more uh widespread but otherwise yeah we didn't have any of that yeah i my first tour was like oh four and i think by that time sidekicks and all that stuff were already kind of like you know the mainstay in our little scene everyone had a little aim you know flip screen sidekick thing and i didn't but you could look up some things on there but yeah it was a lot of uh pulling over at like rest stops busting out the atlas in the middle of the night and just like looking at like well where are we you know (laughs) so I'm amazed we ever got anywhere, to be honest with you. Especially, like, in the, like I just said, like, really off the beaten path, like VFW halls and little venues that you would have to play. They're not, like, really well-known spots. So th- tours working in general back in the day are, like, insane to comprehend now because it's so easy. You know, you have it on your phone and the directions tell you how many feet you have to go to before you take a left. It's, it's crazy. I mean, just the fact that people would book us and had never heard the band. I mean, I would call people out of state and be like, I got your phone number from so on and so forth. Yeah. And they'd be like, okay, I could do a show for you on this date. Like, not sight unseen, never hearing the band, just knowing our name. And, or, you know, obviously we weren't a big band, you know. Um, and would we get a demo out at the time and they would just let us play their city and sleep in their place. So it was, uh, was a pretty wild experience back then yeah what are, like how many tours did you guys do before uh before you guys had a, a, a longer break there um so when we first when we first started the band our bass player was actually in high school um so we would only do like breaks you know as mm-hmm. we were touring but i think once we hit 99 we toured full time i think we were home for two or three months out of the year um up until about 20 about 2003 i think so we were basically full-time for about four years and then that's just you guys booking your own stuff or did you have help from like ferret or anything like that at that time um we had i think right in the middle we connected with jim grimes Hmm. from chicago i think his booking agency was handsome devil at the time he was doing like martyr and uh another victim and a couple other bands and he got us um, we worked with him for a few years and then toward the end, uh, I think we got a couple tours, but they were always through the other bands, like booking agents. Like when we did a tour with Bloodlet, it was through their agent. When we gotcha. did a tour with Under Oath, it was through theirs. Yeah. You guys were like, I don't want to say the, you know, you're not originators of metalcore, but you're definitely within that first wave, uh, of metalcore. And I don't know if you guys consider yourselves metalcore cause obviously it was metalcore's turned into a little something different these days than like the dead guy version of it. But um, you you know when you listen back cause I spent most of the day listening to like your early stuff um, also because you're 
re-releasing for the first time ever on vinyl 1021 which we'll talk about but uh, yeah you're releasing that and I, I spent some time with that today and actually I was at uh, I went to Tiger Records here in town and that's uh, kind of our little scene record store it's owned by James Sabani of Bain and uh, Casey Jones and all those bands mm. uh, so it curates to our little audience here in town but um, I actually found um Embrace the uh, forever embraced by the sun okay. on CD yeah, there yeah. yeah so I was like oh well I'll pick that one up because I didn't have that one so you never know what's gonna come through that little spot you know they got he buys yeah. collections all the time so I thought that was cool but um yeah it was it, it must have been very strange to get tours like that because obviously like the genre wasn't really as well defined as it as it is now or as it would become in the mid to late two thousands and early two thousand tens but you know, it's kind of crazy that you would just call up people out of the blue and be like, yeah. So like, yeah. would you negotiate like a fee? And like, how often would you get paid the fee? <laughs> I don't think, I mean, there were times we were lucky. I can remember, I think it was one of our very first tours. Um, I booked it myself and I called someone from North Carolina who gave me Dave's number from Prayer for Cleansing. Mm. And Dave was like, I have Harvest coming through. Do you guys want to play the show? So we were like, sure. So like, you know, we were looking for a date and he just happened to have like another date. So we took that date. And then, um, so shows like that, you know, often we do a little bit better shows by ourselves. You know, I mean, we were happy just to get, we were happy to make gas money just to get to where we were going for us at the time. It was like, we were just doing this on the break that we had, right? Like Matt and I think Cameron were both in high school at the time. So when we first started, it was summertime that we were just going out and doing this. And I think for a lot of the guys, it was really their, you know, it was their first time on tour. So we were happy to just play and play anywhere for anyone. And there were times we would show up to a show and just say, hey, we're from New York and we don't have a show today. Can we hop on your show? And sometimes we got lucky and they let us play. Other times they'd let us set up merch. Other times we, you know, just got to stay in the show for free. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember we did it to a show in um, in Florida. I'm trying to think, Vero Beach, I think. Mm-hmm. We showed up to a show. Caven and I were on tour at the same time as oh, us. Wow. And we showed up there, and they were like, "You guys can sell merch. We don't have any spots on the show for you guys to play." So we just set up merch and hung out, watched. Kevin and I are. Hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this and give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat, or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. How does that work out though? When like when you're selling merch at the venue and the bands are like, "Yeah, loved you," or the, the people come out like, "Loved you guys," and you're like, "Yeah, totally, yeah. man." 
I don't think we sold anything that night, but we were like, you know what? Let's just let's just set up, see if anybody maybe you know is interested and wants to buy a demo. You know, I think our demos were like three bucks or mm-hmm. something. So yeah, but it was something to do because otherwise, what were we gonna do? Sit in the hotel room, or not even sit in the yeah, van? Yeah, I was gonna say like if you had a hotel room, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, you're lucky. Exactly. Um, how how. So when you're booking tours and stuff, like you just said, like you you know you reached out to Dave from Prayer and he'd had like a show on a certain day. How how often would, did that happen? And like, what's the longest that you would go to play just like a show, or was like, and like booking a tour when you have situations like that arise where like you're looking for a certain date, but he's got a different date available. Like, how would the routing work for you guys back in the early days? We just made it. I think there were a couple times we doubled back on a few occasions just to make something work. Mm. Um, I mean, there were times we did silly stuff like I think we were in Quebec City and our next show was in Jersey, New Jersey. Like, and that was an all night, mm. overnight, you know, just to get there. Um, so we did dumb things like that. But at the time, you just didn't want to have the day off. So it was like, you know, day off was no money. We weren't, you know, doing anything. There were definitely times that we had a couple days off here and there, mostly in the early stuff. Um, but for the most part, we just try to fill it in wherever we could. And, you know, you just hear about things that were going on. You know, you talk to another band that either was like from that town and, you know, you try to just make a few phone calls while you were out. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Yeah, luckily for everybody, gas was much cheaper back in the day, and you could double back on on some stuff. But you weren't getting that much money anyway, so it's all probably relative. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we were. Yeah, I mean, I can't ever remember a time that back then that we were like, you know, not hoping we'd get enough gas money to make it to the next show. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was tough times back then, especially for like you know, smaller bands than you. Um, God, well, I just I just threw myself off because I was going to ask you something about touring again whatever it's gone so anyway 1021 finally coming out on vinyl uh what was the intent what, what was the decision behind that finally doing it after all these years now it's like 20 plus years yeah i'll, I'll kind of start this off and then i'll let andrew take over <laughs> okay so we had that record actually was originally released by ferret and then ferret got you know, somehow wrapped up in that whole Warner Brothers yeah. acquisition. Um, we didn't have a contract with Ferret. So our record got kind of wrapped up in that whole mm. situation. So we tried to reach out to Warner on several occasions to get, you know, any type of, you know, communication from them. And often what would end up happening was either they wouldn't write us back or they would write us back until they found out we didn't have a contract. Mm. So I had always wanted to put out the record on vinyl. I was like, hey, let's do this. And for a while, I was like, let's just do this. We were trying to do it the right way. Like I was like, you know, maybe I could work out something with Warner, but they owe us for the digital royalties for all these years. So let's try to, you know, make this work out. But they wouldn't answer us. So um, even with the contacts we received from Carl over at Good Fight, who owned Ferret, mm-hmm. it just never, never worked. Um, so there, for a while I debated on the idea of just simply getting the CD and just taking that to the pressing plant and just putting something out. Cause I always wanted the record on vinyl. It was originally supposed to be released on vinyl. And, um, we actually had an artwork done by Jake Bannon at the time, back in 2000, oh, wow. when it came out, Jake had done the artwork. We were waiting for a, you know, a label that was going to be releasing it. 
um, and it ultimately fell through. So then I think the next idea we tried was, you know, could we get the actual masters back from the mastering company, which was West West Side, but it turned out technology by that point had changed and they no longer supported that type of file mm. um, that these were on. So it was actually, I remember the um, Alan from West West Side telling us that Suf John Stevens was actually looking for his stuff and he didn't have enough time for, to get it for him. And I was like, well, then we're way down on this totem pole here like that we're looking for this. So um, right around COVID, when COVID happened, Andrew kind of got the idea to take the analog tapes that we had and get them, you know, transferred to digital. Hmm. So I'll let you kind of take over from there in terms yeah. of like what we did. So, so first I had to, like, we reached out to John, um, who was like in the original lineup and it, the tapes were in his like garage or something like, and who knows like where, yeah. like, <laughs> like, so, and as you know, like tapes degrade over time. So it's not like, it's not like when you, you know, recorded it 20 years ago. So, yeah. um, so I had John send me like all the tapes, um, and there was like reels in there. There was ADAT tapes, there was DAT tapes. So it was like, I don't know how many, like there's probably like eight different, yeah. like Mixed physical media, wow, yeah. physical media that we had to look at. And so then I was like, I need to find a company that can like actually take all this stuff and you know, send it back to me. Cause not every company can do reels and they just do eight ads or whatever. Like, so I had, I forget what the even the name of the company was, but I had them digitize everything and send it to me. And it was like pretty high cost to do that well, yeah. to like get everything digitized. But in doing that, we got, um, and when it came back, it was literally like, wave files but it was just like zero 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 one wave zero 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 two wave so like i had to weed through like figured it all out is this yeah. like is this a bass track is it a vocal like we had to like find everything and then and it's like if you think about how reels are it's just one big take of every song mm -hmm. so it's like it might be the vocals for five songs yeah. So, and then you have to chop them and put them all t back together. So we spent a while just kind of, kind of like putting it all back together. Um, Do you have an idea how long that would, that took? Like how long that process took? Like just getting everything yeah. in order per song? <laughs> months. Yeah. It's probably months, months wow. to do that. And I think our original intent at that time, cause I was thinking about this today, our original intent was, could we do this ourselves? Like, could we mix this, just, just remix it and then get it mastered and just do it ourselves. And I think with the sheer volume that we ended up finding, it turned out like there was just no way we were gonna, right. like once it was pieced back together, it was just no way. It was, we were in above our heads at that point. And yeah. that's what you call so, Will in. Uh, well, not, well, kind of, did we at that point? Before we, get, uh, before we get into that, I wanna know, cause you were saying like you didn't have you know the contract and there were some issues with warner brothers and then yeah. i know you guys like re-recorded some stuff on uh, at least guitar work on the on the um mm -hmm. on the album so i was wondering if like 
you were just trying to do like a Taylor Swift thing where you re-record your whole album and you can put it out yourself. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's definitely part of it. Um, I know. So we are doing like Sky King Bowling's version. Um, (laughs) But, you know, um, we, uh, you know, like when we got like everything back together, like the guitars, like there was just a lot of guitar tracks and they were kind of weak. Um, The bass tracks had all been tracked by me at that point not matt who was like the original bassist and matt was like i want to like if you're gonna if we're gonna do any recording stuff i want to be in on that Mm -hmm. so then matt we got had matt do like a whole bunch of bass tracks and my brother went up to um applehead um which is chris bittner and mike birnbaum okay where all the sleeping stuff is recorded um so he went up there and did all the guitars there and so then it started to come back together again because it brought more life to it and some of the tapes had degraded to a point where i felt like the quality even of what we had in the original it's just it was like not there mm. like on the on the guitars for sure vocals were great but um we're still really good on the reels um but the the guitars and even the drums were needed work <laughs> so um so how much of the how much of the re the re-release remastered is all new recordings? Um, like so 50, most 50? of the guitars and bass are new, but my brother kind of so when my brother was there doing that uh, cam, he was he basically took a lot of the guitars there too that were the old guitars and still mixed it with the new guitars because they oh. still had he didn't want it to lose. The vibe of the record. I got you. Yeah. Um, so, but we wanted the guitars to be heavier than what was on the original. Yeah, and I think that some of what we wrote in the liner notes for this record was how you know some of this backstory of how this kind of came together. But at the time, we were like twenty years old and recording. Like, I mean, I'm sure you probably remember this, but like, a, getting a good recording was everything for the bands. That I personally think it kind of. If you got a good recording, people took you seriously. Like, think about, you know, we were just talking about this at the show. Poison the Well's record for Opposite of December was, like, the best recorded record that that, you know, I mean, like, when that came out, it was like, oh, my goodness. Like, this just sounds so good. That, you know, Dead Guy Mm. and Fixation on a Coworker, Earth Crisis records, like, those records were all huge sounding. And we were taking those records, not Poison the Wells, but we were taking Earth Crisis, we were taking, um, you know, Dead Guy's record to the studios and being like, this is what we want to sound like. And studios had no idea. Like, we were called a thrash band over and over and over again by the studios we were going to. They were like, oh, yeah, we're really into this thrash metal stuff. And we're like, that's not not what we're into. (laughs) And so what ended up happening was we just, when we wanted to sound heavier, we thought like you need more guitars so we just layered on like 20 guitar tracks not realizing (laughs) that like you just made everything that much muddier and less clear so like less was more we didn't know that we thought more was more so in the end i think what we realized now that we've learned over you know these years is that you know we don't need to do that so the idea was really just you know how can we preserve a lot of what we have and kind of like not take away from the vibe of the original record and kind of pay homage to it. But at the same time, like 
give it some life that we think it really needs and, and ultimately, you know, we felt like it deserved. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like it modernizes it too. Yeah. Like it brings it to now. <laughs> yeah. So I, that- I, I, you know, when you were saying like you, like those certain records, like you, you mentioned opposite and dead guy and stuff like that. And, um, though at the time they did sound so good but like now when i hear when i go back and listen to like opposite yeah. i'm like oh my god this does not yeah. sound that great but at the time <laughs> for the time being it was awesome and it was so good and like you know i don't even think songs were 320 kps or whatever when you were like ripping them and downloading them off the internet i think it was like 128 was like a you, uh, you got yeah, a good right, yeah. you got a good quality mp3 there but um i talk about sound quality a lot with certain bands because you know, depending on the genre that you're a part of, like you said, thrash, uh, and certain metal bands like that more, you know, uh, more high pitched sounding, uh, you know, a lot of contrast in there. It's like it's not really a lot of low end, so to speak, and it's very tinny. It sounds like like you, you know, sorry, yeah, yeah <laughs> like you recorded it in a tra- like a metal trash can or something like that. But you know, metal's metal. <laughs> a lot of bands are reverting back to that sound too you know especially like hardcore and whatnot you're you're seeing a lot of bands like really go for that sound and uh, i just don't know if i i don't like hate it but i think i enjoy something that's really you know taken in full effect like people care enough about it to make it really sound great but again part of the genre i guess is sometimes not sounding great on cd and sounding better in person you know and i get I get, uh, I'm guilty of like not really listening to certain bands on CD because I don't like the way the audio sounds. But if I see them live, I'm like, holy shit, I get blown away, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. I mean, I think that back then, especially the 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 ability to get a good recording was, you know, I mean, for the bands that did, it was it was somewhat rare. And then there was a ton of bands that were just, you know, you just got crappy recordings. And now, to me everything's so much more accessible and you know i mean you could get a great recording in a basement and so you know the fact that maybe there are bands out there that are aiming for a specific sound so be it but like at the end of the day like you know i i think we you know for the most part i think a lot of bands know what they want you know going in and if that's what they're going for you know so be it how'd you guys link up with will was that something that you sought him out or did he kind of get catch wind of you guys doing stuff and since you guys were we're not too far away from him he's in new jersey He's very fond of, I'm sure, like your band and are familiar with it. So how did that, like, how did you guys link up together? Build out his web form. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, I actually, yeah, I reached out to him over his contact us form on his website and was like, hey, you know, I don't know, you know, if you know who we are or if you're in like our band, but I think I reached out to him originally to do the remix before we ended up deciding that we were going to do the re-recording. And then I believe... Cameron ended up connecting with him through Rob from Incendiary, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, because they had recorded their record with him yep. and they were like, you should have him master it. So ultimately we ended up linking back with him um, to do the mastering. And he had written me back and was like, yeah, you know, I was, I was, in, I'm into the band and I'd love to be a part of it. He had done a bunch of the other, um, some of the other reissues that uh, Ferret Good Fight had done, right. For like Martyr and a couple yeah. of the other bands, so yeah. Disembodied, et cetera. So, um, yeah, we were, you know, happy to have him on board as well. That's very cool. I remember the question I was going to ask you about the touring situation. So I will ask that and then tie it in with some new information that came out this week that we can talk about. At what point and why 
did you decide to go full time and tour full time? And you know, as a young person, maybe I don't know exactly what your ages were when you decided, but like probably when you got out, of, when everyone was out of high school and you had more ample time, what made you decide to just go full time? Because at the time, you know, late '90s, not a lot, and then and currently, there's not a lot of money being thrown around, really. But there was definitely not a lot of money, and you know, exposure online was not at its peak you know the, i'm sure some internet stuff was going on when you were touring and and whatnot but it was nothing like mid-2000s myspace you know people were connecting over the early days of social media so what made you guys want to and decide to do that um i think for us it was once we had connected with ferret um you know we had kind of told and we had talked to him you know like what our plans were what do we want to do know that type of thing um we had pretty much committed at that point in our lives like many of us had nothing else going on right like i worked for my parents my parents owned you know a business john's dad owned a business um cameron worked for my parents um you know our bass player at the time wasn't really working our drummer didn't work so ideally we didn't have anything else going on so it was like you know if we the way we looked at it was could we if we had that ability to just be on the road and support ourselves enough to just, you know, keep keep going and pay the bills, we had nothing really at home for us at the time. So we just decided that we would just go all in and see kind of what happened. Um, I think probably about halfway after we were like through that tour cycle, we saw a lot of the bands that we were going out with um, you know, bands like Thursday, bands like Unearth, bands like, you know, Poison Well is another example, yeah. Hope's Fall, et cetera. A lot of those bands started to kind of, you know, take take it to the next level. Um, and at the time, I think there was a lot of, a lot more being, you know, like Hot Topic and other, you know, started to pay attention yeah. to a lot of the bands of our genre or style, right? Like, and those labels like Trustkill, like Ferret, like Victory, et cetera. So it just kind of made us, kind of propelled us, I think, a little bit toward the end to just keep the ball rolling until we realized, like, yeah, we couldn't keep it going any longer. Yeah. But do you, And you guys quit, or not quit, but you guys, you know, took a break for a little while. But you took a break at a time, like I was just saying, where, like, MySpace and, like, those early days of, like, social media were just catching on. Do you ever think, and looking back now, obviously, is 2020 hindsight, but like where you're sitting at now, do you ever think like, man, if we could have just held out for six more months, you know, maybe would have, would have had like a, not a second wave, but like the first wave would have continued going for a little bit longer. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I feel as though like we had kind of run our course and at the same time, like we hadn't put out another record. I mean, we right. had only done, you know, 1021 and I think it was released early 2001. Now we're talking 2003. It was the time for us to like, put out another record we were starting to look for another label at the time um you know we were in talks with a couple of labels but at the same time like it just it's sort of uh, you know i've always described that it's kind of like it started to feel like a job it yeah, started okay. to feel like where we were getting to the point and this is especially true where we put out those last two songs i don't know if you ever heard them before but we put out these last two songs that's that like came falling ep Yes. Okay. And they were intended to be a demo. They were intended to shop to labels. And most of that was done because we had people 
in our ears, so to speak, you know, saying like, hey, you guys should be more melodic. You guys should sing more. You guys should do this. You guys should do that. And when you're out on the road, you know, 10 months out of the year getting $5 a day and people are saying like, hey, you should sing more or you should be more melodic or you should do this or you should do that. You start to think like, is that the yeah. is that the magic bullet? Is that the key to unlock that we can maybe gain some fan base or maybe take it to the next level? And that's what those demos actually were to me, right? It felt a little bit forced at times and mm. it, I don't really think it was something that we were um, intending to release. But at the same time, it's like, if we had done a whole record like that, I don't really think that would have done anything for us. So to me, I feel like we ended at the right time. I think we were, I think we had, we had kind of gotten to the end of where, of where the life of the band was and, and where, you know, being in a van for 10 months out of the year for three or four years with the same guys, like we were, we were done. Like we were tired. Tapped out. Yeah. I do remember. And again, cause I got in, I got into like all this kind of stuff in my last couple of years of high school, uh, coming over from the new metal world. Um, I remember, you know, getting a hold of like Victory Records, Trustkill Records, and Ferret Records, and I just remember you guys being like always on like the comps or always, you know, touring with those bands. But I, you know, I never. You guys ended so abruptly, like even before I was in a band. I never really got to see you guys, and uh, it was just cool because, like, again, you know, you did the, the Poison Well show, and that that came full circle and whatnot. How did that even come about for you guys? I mean, granted, you come from the same almost era as Poison the Well and whatnot, but, you know, they're from South Florida. You guys are from Long Island. Um, how did they decide to go with you guys for the New York shows? And how did that come so, about? Yeah, I don't know how it all came together. Like, meaning, like, you know, as far as, like, what prompted who mm -hmm. to ask us to play. Um, what I do know is, you know, I've known... I knew Poison Well from when they were an acre lost. Like, I don't know if maybe you're too young to remember it, but <laughs> Victory Records used to have a chat room. Yeah, no, I remember chat rooms. Um, so yeah, it was called Vic Chat, and I met their singer, their first singer. Oh yeah, yeah. on Vic Chat, and we became friends and we traded tapes because um, that's what I was doing at the time. Like we had our demo, and I would meet these other bands, and I'd be like, "Oh, I'll send you my demo. Send me your demo," and um. So they, I'd had them come up and play a couple of shows, like in basements here on Long Island, um, before Opposite, you know, had come out, and even you know before they had signed to Trustskill. And I was talking with their manager at this last show, and I guess there was some some kind of discussion over, you know, who would be a good band to support Poison Well at these shows that is local, and our name was thrown out there, and ultimately we got asked to play. Um, it just felt like the timing, given what we had going on with mm -hmm. the vinyl, like, you know, and that was some, we had intended for that record to be released on 1021 of last year. Mm. Um, our goal, but it didn't really, the cycles didn't, it really didn't come together. Um, so what we decided was, you know what, like that's the right time for us to make that announcement. But at the same time, it felt like, you know, things were kind of converging so that, you know, we got asked to play the show and we had this other thing coming out. So it just felt like the right time with those two things kind of coming together. Interesting. Yeah, and also we had, Cam was like, 
originally, like he was living in Mexico and also in California. So he wasn't around for a long time mm -hmm. um, play shows. And he had just moved back to Long Island. So we had like everyone here. Now. Oh, cool. So it made it a little bit easier um, to play this show. Minus Matt. Matt's in North Carolina. Yeah. At the lineups were really um, interesting for each, you know, um, city that they played in. Uh, the New York one was more, um, I want to say legacy band oriented, but I don't necessarily, the opener for the show, I don't think I, I don't know Excited. too much about those guys, yeah. but it seemed, yeah, it, uh, it seemed like, you know, Indecision and you guys were coming from way back in the day, which I thought was cool because the other, like, and it was cool that in the California shows, they had some newer bands open up like Sky Came, uh, not Sky Came Falling, See You Space Cowboy. But, right. uh, you know, that was that was pretty neat. Um, speaking of like coming back and having things going on in your uh, timeline now, you guys just also announced this week that you guys are playing Furnace Fest, and um, you know they 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 have the ability to kind of get these old bands back together reunion style. Not saying that you guys you know weren't uh, doing stuff for the last couple of years, but I don't think you were doing anything at, at this frequency. It it seemed like so I could be completely wrong about that, and you can correct me, but. How did the Furnace Fest thing come about, and how do you guys feel about playing that kind of festival at this particular time? Yeah, so they had actually reached out to us, I think, for the first one. Mm -hmm. um, they had reached out and sent an email. The first of the newer one. The first of the newer yeah, one. Yeah, 21. They reached out to us. Yeah, 2020 yeah. or 21. I know one was canceled. And it was back. 2000, yeah. I think it was 2001. And... Um, at the time it just wasn't the right time for us like i have a i have a i had a medically complex son um who was like COVID was a very real thing for our family and you know i told him like hey there's just no way that we could do this like we can't make this work like you know my family was still quarantined at that time um so a couple years later we had reached out to them and said hey you know if you guys do need us you know at, we had some momentum going with you know the things we were doing behind the scenes um, that didn't come together. And then um, this time around, it just, you know, once we had played the Poison the Well shows, like shortly thereafter, um, they had reached out to us and it, it just all kind of came together. So, oh, so that's a, like a recent thing, like the whole, that whole thing happening literally was in a handful that, of weeks. Yeah, that came together within a couple of weeks right after the Poison the Well show. I mean, it was wow. probably about five or 10 days later, I think. After yeah. playing, wait, hold on, after announcing the shows or after playing the shows? playing the shows oh wow so that like just happened so, this past yeah. week or something like that oh interesting yeah like right after we played the shows we got the offer and then we accepted and then they announced it we thought maybe they were going to wait and they had told us sent us a message saying hey we're gonna announce you know this thursday and yeah. we were like all right let's go let's do it so yeah wow. i'm excited i mean it's um i haven't been to any of them since the one that we had played which i looked up and i think it was 2002 yeah. was when we played so i'm psyched to be back down there i'm psyched to see the bands that are playing you know i see all the photos of everyone say, heads up it's a lot it's a way bigger than back in those days <laughs> uh, honestly i don't you know toward the end of the band because that was right around when we were ending i have very i the only vivid memory i have of that was we and i am convinced you talked about long drives and dumb things we did <laughs> i'm convinced that i because i can't find any remnants of a flyer or anything, I'm convinced we were driving from New York down to Birmingham. That sounds about right. And we broke down in Tennessee somewhere, 
And we actually needed our engine rebuilt. Wow. So we had like blown the head gasket. So we put, we rented a, a yellow Xterra. I remember this specifically. <laughs> and Classic a car. And a, and a U-Haul, like a, you know, like a rider, like, you know, like a box truck. Yeah. We put all our equipment in the box truck. John and our um, merch guy, Race, drove to Alabama. We drove in the Xterra, the four of us, to go play down there. And we drove all the way back home after that show. And then we paid the guy who rebuilt the engine to drive our van oh, wow. all the way back up for us. And um, I remember because his name was Country, was what his name was. As it should be, is, as it should be from Tennessee. Exactly, yeah. which was, and I know, I recall this memory um, pretty vividly, was that our guitar player John's dad paid him, and when he called the shop to find out if he had left, the guy was like, why did you give that guy money like he's an alcoholic and he's probably not going to bring your van back and believe it or not he did um but it's just one of those stories that like yeah. is pretty wild but like i said i'm fairly certain we drove from new york to birmingham yeah and i'm fairly certain you probably were in the red after that whole insane trip because oh, oh probably. yeah yeah <laughs> it's probably another reason as to why as to why we broke up i yeah. mean there's no i mean you know, I remember, I remember when the under oath tour and you know was cut short abruptly because all of us were broke. Like under oath was broke, and so were we. Yeah, and no one was coming to the shows. I'm looking at that article right now on Lamb yeah. from well, 2002, August 23rd, yeah. 2002. Sky came falling yeah. under oath tour canceled. It doesn't say because you were yeah. broke, but now we got a little backstory on it. That's why. Yeah, I mean, we were in Kansas City, Missouri. And playing in front of like 15 or 20 people. And it just wasn't sustainable. Like, mm. we were just, no one was making any money. And for whatever reason, that tour just never got off the ground. And um, Under Oath was like, hey, we're done. And we were like, we're going home too. And yeah. we all just ended there. And that was it. That was that was pretty much the end of the band right there. Yeah, you're blowing people's mind. They're thinking Under Oath, you know, canceling a tour is unheard of. But this is also like more death metal more death metally uh, under oath, not the whole. Uh, well, this is chasing of safety. Time yeah, under oath. it's not chasing safety and and after. This is prior no. to all that. Yeah, Dallas is still singing. Post death metal, right in that like. I actually just listened to the record the other day for the first time in since then. Oh wow! Uh, and remembered, I love that record. I thought it was great, and uh, but it was such a transitional point for them on that changing of times record, and uh, yeah, it just. I don't know what it was. It just was just a tour where either both of us had toured continually maybe for a long period of time and people were just sick of seeing us or just for whatever reason, it just never, never for, I think five or six shows we, we made, I I think none of us made money. Yeah. That, that would happen back in the day. You're lucky to get any kind of thing or sleep on a fucking floor of someone's house, let alone a hotel. But, um, so I want to talk with like, possible future stuff clearly you're going to be playing in october in birmingham is there going to be more and again you don't have to say anything but this comes out next week so if you have stuff planned that's not going to be 
public knowledge before next week, then just kind of don't let don't make me have to edit this thing. You know what I'm saying? So don't don't say anything you don't want to say. But will you have uh, more shows leading to and from that fest uh, the festival? And also, you know, with all the hoopla of the 1021 coming out and all this and the shows that you've played, are you thinking about new songs, EP, album, or anything like that in the near future? I'll uh, <laughs> I'll say, as far as playing a record release when the vinyl is in hand, yeah, we most likely will coordinate something like that um, local to the New York area. Um, for Birmingham, I don't think we're going to do anything like we'll probably fly down there and you know look at it you know as a kind of like a one-off well, show okay if other opportunities come up you know i think we'd, we'd assess them and, and look to see if it makes sense for us um you know i'd love to do something on the west coast i think that would be you know to get back out there uh would be great um but i don't see us like getting in a van and you know doing any type of touring or anything like that um the other thing, as far as like new music, I'm, I'm sort of, we've got a couple of leftover tracks from 1021 that were recorded musically where there's mm-hmm. no vocals. Um, you know, we've talked about and we actually, that was one of the ideas we originally had when we started to do yeah. 1021. We were like, maybe we'll do those songs and add them as bonus and okay. keep it, you know, as the record that it is. Um, but we ended up where, you know, we did the remix remaster. So we still have those two songs that were left over. Um, you know, we've kicked around, you know, that idea. Years ago, we kicked around the idea of doing something new. I'm kind of on the fence about it. You know, I've seen bands kind of come back. Some of it, some of them do it really well. Others, yeah. you know, you kind of wish they Hurt never... the legacy a little bit. A little, you know what I mean? Yeah, so like, granted, you know, we're not a big band. You know, I don't necessarily feel like you know we've got much of a legacy to undo but at the same time like i don't really want to put something that i don't think sounds like us because i mean at the end of the day like this band was very much like a place in time Mm. you know like it's sort of a moment and especially around these two records as far as you know the internally how we look at it so you know if we do anything i'd want to make sure that it's you know the right the right thing the right sound I don't really feel like as a band, like I want to, you know, push boundaries. Like gotcha. I, I want to keep it to what it is. Yeah. And I have to agree with you. It definitely is like a, pe- a time piece of that, that era. Um, I, you know, I'm walking around target today, listening to it. And I'm like, dude, this is like very indicative of like all the early two thousands. Like there's so much, whether you influenced a band or you pulled influences from bands around that same time too. Like, you know, they're just like things you could hear in other songs and other bands from that era. And it's kind of wild how that all kind of transpired between areas of the country because there's not like, you know, there wasn't MySpace at that point. Uh, there wasn't like Nap. Well, I guess maybe Napster was around, but I don't know how much hardcore and metalcore and metal were, were being, you know, transferred on Napster. But it's crazy how those influences spread around the country, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, we were a lot of what. A lot of the bands that we were into around that time, we were seeing at, you know, Hellfest, yeah. the early Hellfest, you know, like Morning Again, Culture, like that was our first exposure to bands like that. Um, you know, so we were hearing those bands and that genre. Um, and that was kind of like what we were into, you know, like I was super into bands like, you know, Day of Suffering. Um, and, you know, it was kind of funny because as we started to do more touring, 
and we got down into like the North Carolina, you know, the North Carolina, like the Carolinas actually, like we started to play with bands like Hope's Fall. And we're like, it's kind of ironic that, you know, in to some degree, we all sounded similar. We were drawing from the same influences, yeah. um, kind of all the way down the East Coast, you know, all the way to South Florida. So it's just funny the way that that kind of all worked out. Yeah. So I have to ask, what's the what what's the goal then for Sky Camp Falling? If if not to you know change the I don't want to say change the sound, but put out another record that's not you know representative of the band. You know what's the what's the idea for coming back and playing the shows and playing Furnace Fest? Is it just kind of like a cool hobby side thing? Which again, a lot of us at this particular age don't have the ability to, like you said, pound the pavement in the van for months on end. And you know they do weekenders or like you know one-off shows every now and then. What's the in, what's the overall goal for Sky King Falling at this point? Yeah, I mean I think that you know for us it's you know I'll be honest when I say I think that you know when when we were around um, we had some great shows you know like but things weren't like they are today right mm-hmm. and we got a lot of kids you know or a lot of people writing to us a lot of people you know hey you guys should play the show I can't you know I'd love to see you guys. Um, you know, some of it really is just, you know, the nostalgia aspect of it, like revisiting something where, you know, we never got to, I wouldn't say, you know, we didn't get our due because that's not really the way that I feel, but it's more like, you know, if we could play to a new group of people that had never seen us before and are interested and want to, you know, want to see us play and, um, then yeah, like that's, that's kind of like what we're looking to do. It's. I don't, you know, we want to take control of the music we had. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we finally were able to get to 1021 to where, to where, you know, we're happy with it and be able to release that on our own and have the means to do that. Um, you know, we own the EP. We've owned it for years. Um, so ideally, we want to do something with that. I don't necessarily know to the same, to the same level that we did with 1021, but I'd like to see that get a re-release um, at some point. And then, you know, for the most part, just if like i said if if the show seems right you know we'll play i i'd love to you know get out there to some i mean listen i've never been to japan i'd yeah. love to go to japan um yeah all you had to do was wait like, all you had to do was throw that you know owl out in the water wait 20 something years and then maybe you can catch some bigger fish around the world you know pull it up in a bottle right yeah. <laughs> but yeah i mean i'd love to do something like that um you know we went to Europe once, uh, you know, so there's a couple of places that I'd love to go see if the right opportunity happened. I think we'd all be, you know, into it. Um, but yeah, I don't really put any kind of guardrails on it right now. Like mm-hmm. if the right thing comes along in the right place and it's the right time for us, we'll do it. How active were you guys? How how, how active have you, have you been the last couple of years? Has it just been like one show every couple of years or... Because yeah. I, I went through like the database, right, for Lamgo, because we do have all your early posts and stuff, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool because we have stuff. Lamgo was got... an early supporter. Oh, I it know. Was actually nice. There was I always know. like news and like tidbits yeah. or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. And I always, think that's. Yeah. I, and again, like I, I again, I'm not the original owner. I I took over for Alex, you know, a couple years ago. But I think that one of the things I hold very dear is that that we are one of those websites that was online at that particular time. So like, you know. What's what's the earliest Sky Came Falling post we have? November 9th, 2000. 2000. That's the earliest yeah. Sky Came Falling, you know, uh, post on Lamb Goat. So it's really cool that, you know, you can go back through time technically and get all the nostalgia dopamine rush if you wanted to. But um, 
you know, to piggyback off of like what I think maybe the goal situation might be, and you wanted to play all this side of the other stuff. It would be great, I think, if you were able to not write a full length, but maybe just a couple songs or or whatnot that were very similar to the time that you guys were around, like the earlier stuff. I know it'd probably be a little difficult because there's no way that the last twenty something years hasn't influenced you in some way in your brain. But you know, like I said, I was listening to that, uh, listening to Ten Twenty One again, walking through Target, and I was like, God damn, it does it does take you back to like. Well, I was a kid going to shows for the first couple of years, you know what I mean? And I think it'd be really cool if you were able to work it out to where you could make something similar sounding like that nowadays. Yeah, I mean, we do have those two songs that we like uncovered, like that were on, that were supposed to be in. Oh, no do something like that and yeah if we did i think it would be a short release i don't think we would do like anything yeah i mean we talked about those two songs possibly and like maybe a new instrumental something along those lines um which i think would be cool you know those songs are a little bit different to a degree but obviously they fit in with the material that we were writing and recording at that time um but yeah i mean years ago we tried to write some new stuff and yeah that was like it kind of all right yeah it was like it kind of all came out like i hate to say like too good like Cameron's <laughs> a great guitar player and he's really progressed as a musician yeah. um but it, and it didn't sound like us like it was very you know mu- so different from what I remember part of what I've said to the guys is that like the the reason that the songs were the way they were was because we were young like we yeah. didn't know what we were doing so like you know maybe you're combining two parts that shouldn't be there you know that shouldn't be together or maybe you're gonna stop after every single part you wrote and transition into the next part yeah you know like, those were things that you did because you were like well we don't know you know how to write a bridge so like we'll just stop and then you know we'll start the next part <laughs> and you know then the drums come in so you know when everything was kind of flowing and it was this like one you know couple of songs that we had had musically it just didn't really feel like us and we mm. kind of scrapped all those sessions that we had i feel that and i do feel the whole like writing process like you were just mentioning uh with everyone being younger just not knowing anything about songwriting or whatnot and you can definitely tell like especially when um shortly after you guys kind of you know went on hiatus or whatever you know mtv started catching wind of all all this kind of music and then you'd have like bands entering bigger studios and working with bigger producers and then all of a sudden songwriting became better and you know it, it did push the genre genres a little bit but then you lose a little something you know um i don't know if it's like the you know the youth of the of the whole thing but you you lose something uh to where it's like you said some stuff is too good right exactly and i mean you know so, I, so many of those times i remember just you know cameron would come up with a part and then you know matt would have another part and we'd just be like well how do we make these two parts you know kind of meet just and you didn't together. really have a, yeah you just shove them together you didn't have a proper transition you just that's the way it went so you know we listen i listen back to the demo sometimes and i'm just like it's it's amazing to me that you know those songs but it was just again it was you know we were young naive you know we didn't know what we were doing we just kind of had ideas and came together and just wanted to sound like other bands. I get you. Andrew, I wanted, I definitely want to bring up the sleeping since we've talked <laughs> up for like 50 plus minutes yeah, about Sky King Falling. Behind us, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, I know you're, I don't know if you're technically a part of 
questions and answers, but questions and answers. Not, are, um, yeah. I think yeah, you came I, in a little. I was, so like literally I, my brother just called me up. Um, they were doing a tour with Sunny Day um, and they were like, hey, we, we just need, you know, someone to do some keyboard parts for you for, for this tour. And I was like, Sunny Day? Yes. Like, <laughs> I'll do that tour. So um, he had a, my brother has a keyboard and we just kind of worked on a few parts on that. And they're already in the songs. Like, I didn't write those or anything. So, um, so yeah, I just went on the road with them for... I think it was like five dates with Sunny Day. Mm. So, um, and I'm not like in in the band. It's just kind of like I just tour with them every once in a while to you know help them out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's cool. But I, actually, the one thing I'll say is like when my brother my brother recorded a new record with the Sleeping, it actually that it's kind of the reason why the guitars in the Sky Game Falling actually got recorded up in Applehead. Because he on the side was like, "Hey, I have Scott, this guy him falling record. I need like some help with it," and kind of brought in the Applehead guys mm, to then mix and record stuff. Like that kind of all like the timing of it all like synced up, and that's how yeah. it happened. We've kind of rode some of the they've sort of forged some of the path that we've been able to utilize. Like they self released their own album recently. About, uh, the sleeping yes, yeah okay. sleeping. They did a kickstarter um a lot of those ideas were ideas that andrew and i you know when we were getting this whole thing together were kicking around you know should we do yeah, a kickstarter yeah. should we do this should we do that you know how should we go about doing this the sleeping kind of getting ahead of us and doing those things in front of us allowed us to realize you know utilize some of them you know correct some of the mistakes that they had made um when they had realized like oh you know what like maybe that wasn't the wisest idea to do this we've been able to kind of utilize that to you know basically make our whole thing yeah like steer our ship yeah yeah so it's worked out well for yeah. us and in I, that respect i had doug on the podcast a while ago uh, probably like during covid or right after covid times but it was interesting to see how close he got he was with you guys in the beginning um i i think i'm correct in thinking he was like the young kid hanging out at your space a lot back in the day. Yeah, so the way that it kind of worked was when Sky Came Falling broke up, the idea was originally to have, so the last lineup of Sky Came Falling was myself, John on guitar, Cameron on guitar, Sal on bass, and Joe on drums. Joe, Sal, and Cameron formed The Sleeping. Mm -hmm. I was originally in tending to be the vocalist of that band but backed out i was like this isn't i'm not really a singer and i knew what they needed yeah uh, and they got doug and so at that time doug i think was living in there in the <laughs> that's what he said yeah. <laughs> yeah there's a great story about him um there was a payphone. I don't know if he told that story on the podcast. I'm trying to. If you if you start talking about if you start telling me, I'm, I'm it'll come back. But he definitely told some stories. But yeah, go ahead. There was a payphone in the studio that had no nobody knew the number to it. So oh. like Doug, when he was staying at the studio, you couldn't get a hold of him. But the phone rang one day, and he ran over to it. And picked it up, and they were obviously had the wrong number. But he was like, "What number did you dial?" <laughs> so he wrote down the number, so that now we had the, you know, if you wanted to reach Doug, you called the studio, and he would pick up the payphone that yeah. was outside. 
inside the studio. So that's how we would all get in touch with Doug. But yeah, he was he was living in, in the studio at that time. Um, and those guys were like, they were workhorses. Like they they practiced day and night. Um, and then I ultimately ended up releasing their first their first album. Was that is that questions and answers or no? That's no. It was uh, believe what we tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, now did that? I don't necessarily know. I mean, you were a part of the original talks for the band, so I I feel comfortable asking. But the idea for that project did that come out of the idea, or did that come from the band Sky Came Falling disbanding? But also like all those people in your ear about like you should sing more, you should do this. This is like more profitable that yada yada because there is a there's a drastic difference between the sleeping and sky came falling so yeah i think you know we were all listening to lighter music at the time like like one of our favorite records i remember this was we were all really into the code seven record Ah, that was the rescue Mm -hmm. that red record like we were super into that record so we were starting to get into like much more melodic stuff. Okay. Like we were starting to listen to a lot of bands in, in those genres. Like, like I think um, one of the bands that we were all really into, and I don't know if you were into music by then, but like when the used first broke, yeah, yeah. like that first record was fantastic when Agreed. we were young. Like we were on, like we actually saw that band on work tour because we were somehow it landed on a few warp tour dates at the time and um we actually watched the used go from like a side stage band to have to move up to an actual you know one of the one of the bigger stages because their crowds were so big yeah and so we were getting really into music like that and i think that toward the end of the band you know they it was sort of a natural progression for them to start playing a genre that was more melodic and I think Sky Game Falling intended to try to capture some of that. We just, you know, vocally, I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the same sense, like, I think we were starting to to head in that direction. There was some there was some aspect of that being a natural progression and some aspects of that being like, a, you know, hey, why don't we give this a shot? Because I could have screamed over that whole record, you know, on the last EP. But, you know, we I was trying something. I was like, hey, you know, maybe we'll do this. This is what... The bands that I like are doing, you know, maybe I could try that. Um, but for the sleeping, I think it was a little bit more of a of a natural progression for them to kind of see that. And Sal was always into very melodic um, music as well. So the other thing that's also kind of that I you know failed to mention is the fact that like the Sky King Falling that wrote that EP and the Sky King Falling that wrote the full length are completely different bands. Yeah. So lineup wise. Yes. Yeah. Well. Hour goes by quick, does it not? <laughs> does it does? Um, well, let's wrap it up with this. Is there anything else that you guys want to kind of like give a dish out or say before we gotta you know depart this evening? You got anything? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, thank you for doing this. This was oh, for this sure was great. I appreciate you uh, reaching out. Um, other than that, yeah, I think we're right now just we'll be dropping some new tracks. Not new tracks, but new old tracks. New to us. Yes, new <laughs> new to everyone else. We'll be kind of doing that. Oh, yeah, we did. Uh, we should mention that we, we released Laura Palmer as a single. Yes, yeah. I did see that. I did see that today. Yeah. 
yep. I, I have to make um, a post about that. The newest. That's that's the new version of yeah. This version. Awesome. Well, I will look forward to seeing you for a third time this year, come October. I literally said that the other day. I was like, go figure. I would. I never saw that band ever <laughs> in my forty years of life. And now, in one right. like six-month period, I'm going to see him three times. Well, funny. We were just about to announce the Jacksonville show, so funny what? enough. Are you really? <laughs> no, I'm just okay. I was, I, was, I was like, what? That's a whole fucking tour now. No. I'll see you guys in Birmingham, though, nonetheless, and uh, it'll be a great time. I don't know how long you're staying, but uh, if you're staying for more than the weekend, or you know, if you're staying for the weekend, we, on our first night there, I think Thursday night or whatever, I usually try to get a little get together with some bands uh, for the, after the pre-show. So if you're there for the pre-show but on the Thursday, or I don't know what the schedule is like now, but usually the day before the, the festival, I kind of try to arrange a little hangout for bands at this little P- Marty's PM. Uh, you're more than welcome to, you know, join us. I'll, I'll remind you via email uh, nope. if, if you're able to make it or not. But if not, no hard feelings. We'll just get you a round or two. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, all good. No, appreciate it. All right, guys. Awesome. I appreciate your time. Uh, I look forward to seeing you, like I said earlier. And uh, yeah, thanks for doing this show. Yeah, thanks All for right. having us. All right. Take Good it night. easy, y'all. See you in October. Yep. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.